Welcome everyone. I'm Dr. Justin Arner from the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Steve Aoki, Associate Professor of Sports Medicine at the University of Utah. Dr. Aoki was the author of the paper entitled, Joint Venting Prior to Hip Distraction Minimizes Traction Forces During Hip Arthroscopy, which is published in the February 2021 issue of the Arthroscopy Journal. Welcome, Dr. Aoki, and thank you for joining me. Hey, thanks, Dr. Arner. I really appreciate the invitation to discuss our paper. This is a great opportunity to speak with you. Great. Let's jump right into it. Can you give us a little bit of background? This is really a well-designed and clinically useful study, so congratulations on that. So my first question is, what really inspired this study, and how did it kind of come about? Sure. You know, ultimately, we all want to improve orthopedics and make our field safer and uh, better which includes decreasing uh, complications related to our procedures. You know, one of the considerations within the world of hip arthroscopy is traction-related injuries. And based off of previous published data, we know that traction-related injuries are related to both, number one, overall traction time, and number two, uh, the magnitude of the traction. We initially started thinking about this study due to the occasional patient where we were unable to get the hip to distract using a standard axial force uh, applied to the foot. And uh, in these patients, I would bend the hip in order to break the vacuum seal of the hip, and this would achieve the distraction needed to safely enter the hip. Uh, after doing this, we thought that if it helped with the difficult hips, maybe it would be a helpful technique to perform in all the hips to decrease the magnitude of traction force. Is what we were noticing was that uh, some of the hips, once they were bended, really didn't need a lot of traction force in order to adequately distract. I figured there was a pretty interesting story behind that. So for a young hip arthroscopist, can you give us some pearls maybe about which of those patients in your experience you've seen that are difficult to distract? Are they the people with, you know, really deep sockets or who do you worry, uh, you know, about when you first initially started doing the venting? Yeah, so there's there's a couple of patients that I would say that are a little bit harder to distract in general. Uh, the larger muscular males uh, can be a little bit more difficult where it's just harder to get that distraction of the joint to, to get adequate uh, spacing so that you can get in safely. Uh, then there's those individuals that, that probably maintain their labral seal and, and they just don't, they don't break that vacuum because they have a pretty good labral seal and, and uh, that, that uh, pop of the joint doesn't occur. And so in those uh, individuals, if I notice that in, that uh, person doesn't have a whole lot of distraction, I'll bend, and it usually opens that joint back up a little bit more. Or in the individuals that won't distract at all, I'll, I'll uh, uh, bend and insufflate, and then that usually pops the seal and makes it easier to uh, open up that joint. That's a great trick. Can you give us a brief uh, summary of your study design? It was really well done with the different pounds of traction and, and having a control group and how you chose the different pounds and just a little bit about the details regarding those. Yeah, um, our goal of the study was to see whether venting could improve our ability to maintain uh, or obtain that adequate distraction uh, with ultimately decreasing that magnitude of the traction forces. Uh, there's a built-in tensiometer in the bed that I used, and we uh, first what we did was we validated the tensiometer to make sure that it was accurate uh, using the old-fashioned technique of just hanging weights from the gym off of the tensiometer and make sure that it was calibrated. Uh, we chose the 25-pound increments given that the tensiometer on the bed is calibrated at 25-pound at increments. Uh, we decided to measure at uh, 0, 25, 50, 75, and 100 pounds of axial distraction force. 
uh, we decided to stop at 100 pounds uh, because in my practice, I just don't distract more than 100 pounds when it comes to scoping a hip. Uh, in our patients undergoing uh, hip arthroscopy for FAI, once we positioned uh, on the operative bed, uh, we then did serial distractions uh, at the 25-pound increments up to that 100 pounds uh, and took fluoroscopy spots at each distraction uh, position. And then we prepped and draped, and we gave a lag time of 15 minutes to allow that hip to settle again. And then uh, we performed an air arthrogram where we injected 20 milliliters of air under fluoroscopy guidance. And then we repeated those measurements at the 25-pound increments. And again, we took fluoroscopy spots at each uh, position. We then took the measurements and calculated uh, millimetric distraction measurements uh, because the, the fluoroscopy comes out in pixels. And uh, so we, we converted that uh, uh, from the fluoroscopic uh, spots and compared them to the preoperative radiographic films uh, uh, using sizing uh, uh, equivalents. Uh, we were a little concerned that our study design would be flawed given that we were uh, distracting the hip prior to venting the hip. And then uh, this was, uh, we're, we were uh, worried that this would artificially make the venting look more effective in the data analysis given that we're pulling, distracting, breaking the seal, and then relaxing and then pulling again with venting. So uh, we did, however, look at a control group of 20 patients where we pulled traction, did the measurements, waited the 15 minutes, and pulled traction uh, and did not vent on that second run. And on, in these unvented control uh, group uh, patients, we showed no difference between the two data sets. So it made us feel confident that our vented data was going to be representative of the actual venting process. Yeah, I think that was a great plan to kind of deal with some of those confounders. Since, since you brought it up, I had a few other uh, questions. I think it's a great design. Can you tell us about just the details of how you typically do this? Are you prepping the skin and venting the hip and then, you know, prepping the whole leg like normal and then getting access and uh, kind of tell us the steps, how you find most efficient? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. So typically what I do, I uh, just in general, uh, kind of my process is uh, when I put the, the feet in the traction boots, I'll, I'll essentially uh, get them positioned on the bed and then I'll pull on the the hip just to make sure that I'm not getting any slippage of the foot, uh, just so that I don't like to be uh, be all prepped out and then find that the, the heel is slipping. So I always just check it to make sure that I've got adequate distraction or I'm able to distract. Uh, typically what I'll do is uh, check that uh, and I look at, I try to get an idea of how much distraction I need in order to get adequate spacing of the joint and then I'll if I if I can get enough distraction, I'll just let off the traction, then we'll prep and, and drape and then go back, get ready for the surgery, and then I'll pull traction again, just so I can minimize the amount of time on uh, uh, where the hip is distracted. Uh, if I notice when I first pull on the, the hip prior to any uh, prepping, uh, if I notice that I'm not getting distraction or if I'm uh, not getting enough distraction, uh, then I'll uh, let the hip back down, we'll prep and drape, and then as soon as I'm uh, draped out and ready to go for the surgery, then I'll bend and then uh, uh, pull on the hip. And then you know exactly what you're getting into. I think that's that's great. Another thing I, that you mentioned and I saw in your study about injecting the air into the joint, do you find that more useful than just performing an arthrogram where you remove the stylet? And are you, uh, I guess you're just getting access when you're venting just through the anterior lateral porter, like normal access to the hip? 
Yeah, so I do find uh, injecting and insufflating to be more helpful, uh, mainly because if you, uh, I guess it, it can be helpful to, to just put the, the uh, uh, spinal needle in and then to break that seal. However, if you're going to do it that way, you probably have to have a little bit of, of traction force already placed on the hip. Uh, otherwise, it just doesn't it, it doesn't break that seal. It doesn't uh, pop open, and so you can get it to uh, uh, open up if you if you've got some distraction on that hip, and then you and then you uh, violate the capsule with the spinal needle. I've just found it to be uh, more reliable to to insufflate because I can get that air in there. I'm not getting caught in in soft tissue with my uh, tip of my of my spinal, and I can do it uh, without putting someone on traction. Yeah, that makes sense. So basically you're injecting uh, and then you can take an x-ray and see the air in there. And then are you pulling traction? Is that kind of the, the tip and trick? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's and, great. Um, I mean, you can really address it or, or approach the, the hip in a lot of different ways. I'm usually uh, placing the needle more like how you would for like a fluoroscopic or an ultrasound guided uh, injection where you're coming more from the anterior approach just down the mm -hmm. neck. So I'm in line with the neck. Got it. Makes sense. I noticed that uh, these patients in your study were all done postless. Can you try to give us your gestalt about postless traction and your experience with it and your thoughts regarding it? Yeah, so I'm a I'm a big fan of uh, postless arthroscopy. Um, I've been uh, doing it since uh, late 2017. I found it to be a pretty consistent way of performing a hip scope. Uh, I was a little nervous about uh, switching over given the thought process that the post, you know, provided better distraction and, and uh, lateralized the hip. I actually don't like when the post lateralizes the hip. Uh, in order, it just changes the, the position of the anatomy. Um, I still use a post table at one of the hospitals where I operate, but I would prefer to use a postless table. It's just the setup is easier for me. It's more consistent. Uh, and uh, I tend to uh, prefer not having that groin pad in just more for patient comfort reasons. Right, definitely. Uh, and I, th I think I also saw in your study that you weren't using muscle paralysis. Can you talk to us about your experience with that? And I know some people do spinals and if that's necessary or risks and benefits to that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've not used paralysis during a hip scope or, or really for any other surgical pr uh, procedures. Uh, and, and for me, it's purely a personal preference as I want to be able to have a patient be able to react if they're light on anesthesia. And so that's just been my personal preference uh, from a surgical standpoint. I've never personally noticed a, a problem with doing a hip scope without it, uh, without paralysis. Uh, however, to be fair, I don't think I can comment on whether paralysis or no paralysis during a, a, a hip scope would make any difference in the surgical outcome or, or uh, procedure safety profile. I just find it to be, uh, it, I'd rather not. Uh, I'd rather be able to have a patient uh, be able to respond if they're light on anesthesia. Certainly, that's uh, safer for the patient. We always have heard stories of that occurring. Can you tell us a little bit about? I know the literature talks about some soft tissue and neurologic injuries, and tell us what you think the big benefits are uh, to using the less traction force that we found uh, in your study with the uh, venting technique. Yeah, you know, well, luckily, a major permanent vascular or nerve-related injuries are not very common, although, you know, they do happen. With anyone who's uh, high-volume hip arthroscopy has probably seen some individuals 
who have had some issues uh, related to vascular nerve complications. You know, there are other traction-related problems that could be affecting outcomes uh, that uh, may be more difficult to identify, like the technical issues related to uh, iatrogenic chondral or labral injuries uh, due to uh, access uh, difficulties, uh, or the issue of uh, higher magnitude of traction forces causing increased uh, post-operative pain. Uh, if we're using less traction, hopefully we can minimize these complications and have better outcomes. Uh, you know, when I was a when I was a resident uh, in training, uh, one night on call, I I uh, threw a tourniquet on my on my arm to see how long I could hold uh, keep it on, and and boy, it was pretty uncomfortable. And that kind of uh, put me uh, towards trying to do my some of the other surgeries I do in, in the knee without a without a tourniquet, just from that that tourniquet pain. And I guess I would relate it to similar to this, where you know when you're on traction uh, on a on a hip bed, it's probably not very comfortable. I've tried putting myself on on the hip scope bed before, and when you start pulling, it just feels a little odd. I I didn't have the nerve to to pull my hip and distract it, but boy, I just wanted to at least get a feel of what it was like in the boot and and what it was like to start pulling that axial distraction force. That's pretty good. Learning firsthand. I love that. That's pretty funny. Uh, we at least know a little bit about what our patients are going through. So do you, uh, as you mentioned about post-operative pain, have you see, seen that with utilization of less traction? Are you looking into those uh, types of outcomes with pain or what are your thoughts regarding that? Yep. Yep. You know, I try to avoid making too many comments that aren't evidence-based, but I would uh, agree with that statement that, um, in general, I do think that the post-operative pain has improved with a postless technique that when I uh, first switched over, my patients seemed to be much more comfortable in the PACU. You know, we tried to figure out a way to study this, but it's really a difficult uh, uh, study design uh, given my current practice since uh, at my academic practice hospital, uh, all of my patients are performed on a postless table and I just wouldn't feel comfortable subjecting them to a randomized study looking at a post versus no post. Also, I think the other challenge with a study like this is just how multifactorial uh, pain uh, as an outcome can be, and it's very difficult. It's a very difficult primary outcome to study. Uh, one of the concerns that surgeons might have when switching to a postless technique is the anxiety of not being able to obtain uh, adequate traction with a postless technique. And I've not had a single patient where I've uh, been unable to adequately distract since uh, switching and. Uh, with those hips that aren't easy to get that space, I've just vented them. And uh, Omer Maidan's uh, study, his is kind of the first study that looked at uh, using a postless system. He's, he's uh, never really had any issues either. I think um, it makes us at least feel more com comfortable with patients that are maybe in longer procedures like labor reconstructions and things like that. Do you think some of these uh, soft tissue injuries, obviously not having that big post there, maybe mitigated by the, the postless system? I know, again, evidence-based stuff we want to focus on, but I mean, it would make sense to me. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, some of the, the worst complications that I've seen uh, out there have been related to being on traction for too long, and they're typically groin-related. They're, they're uh, individuals that have prolonged or permanent groin numbness, or they have sexual dysfunction. And that certainly can happen if you've been on uh, a uh, distraction for, for too long. And 
Yeah, again, it comes down to how long are you on, on uh, distraction and how hard are you pulling on that hip? They both affect vascular and neurologic uh, aspects of our body. And, you know, anything that we can do to decrease that, that uh, risk is, is potentially helpful in, in minimizing complications. Right. Yeah, definitely. Can you tell us uh, related to your venting or any other this setup uh, procedures, do you have any research you can kind of share some things that are in the pipeline for you or any other thoughts about utilization with this and pain control postoperatively? Yeah. From the standpoint of further studies, you know, I, I don't know if it's necessarily the, the, the venting that is the issue. It's more the the issue of, of uh, decreasing the overall magnitude of, of the uh, traction. Uh, we're currently looking at uh, traction force and overall traction time and seeing if, if how it relates to postoperative pain. Again, I think it's a little challenging uh, to, to do pain studies. I've done a couple in the past, and it is a little more challenging to um, get the data just because you know, everyone responds to pain a little bit differently, and it's a little challenging to, to uh, uh, get groups that are similar uh, in, in both both uh, uh, sides of the study. So uh, we're working on it, see if we can find anything that, that's uh, significant. Yeah, as you mentioned before, there are just so many factors. So look, looking at the kind of nitty gritty numbers, I'll just read some of the differences between the traction amounts and was kind of just curious about your clinical significance thoughts regarding those and what was adequate. So the difference between the different pounds at zero, 25, 50, 75, and 100 pounds, as you mentioned, how you had the cutoff was 0.27 millimeters, 2.6 millimeters, 4.1 millimeters, and 4.5 and 2.3 millimeters. So, you know, as you went up in traction, obviously the, the amount was different between uh, when you vented them, you were able to get, you know, quite a bit of space. Can you tell us, you know, clinically, if you found that to be significant, just, you know, comparing those two states and was there a typical amount of traction since you were looking at it pretty closely that you found to be pretty adequate? Maybe for, you know, I'm sure a, a larger male versus a smaller female would be different, but kind of tell us your thoughts about the amount of weight and the clinical significance of it. Yeah. So the numbers that you just mentioned are important because they showed the difference in the millimeters uh, where the hip distracted with the venting. Although I don't think that these numbers are very clinically helpful when you're in the operating room, when you're looking at a difference of, of you know, the, the vented versus the non-vented. This is why we also looked at uh, how many hips distracted to a distance of greater than 10 millimeters. While I personally don't uh, think that you need to distract a hip 10 millimeters in order to gain safe access during a hip arthroscopy, it's a number that gets quoted in the academic world as a distance needed to uh, gain safe access uh, to the hips. So we use that number as sort of a generalization as to how many of these hips are, are adequately getting distracted at each of the uh, different forces. Uh, and we looked at what we found was that uh, when comparing the non-vented uh, to the vented hips, uh, when we looked at how many hips distracted more than 10 millimeters, if we looked at 25 pounds, the non-vented, there's 0% of them uh, distracted 10 millimeters and 15% of them uh, in the vented group uh, distracted 10 millimeters or greater. At 50 pounds of distraction, 6.9% distracted 10 millimeters in the non-vented group, while 43% 
distracted 10 millimeters in the vented group. And then 75 pounds, it was 29% versus uh, 74%. And at 100 pounds, it was 43% versus 82%. So there's a dramatic increase in the number of, of hips that were able to reach that 10 millimeter threshold, which is sort of the, uh, the, the dogma that gets thrown out there as far as as uh, how far you need to distract in order to safely get into the, the hip. For me, these numbers are clinically uh, more helpful as they give hip arthroscopists just a better idea of, of how many hips are able to get to that point uh, in order to get into the joint. Right, yeah, that's more clinically useful and makes you feel more confident, especially I think for people jumping to post-list technique, seeing uh, the, that, that real data I think is helpful. Are there any other thoughts or uh, kind of gestalt you could give us, uh, especially young hip arthroscopists re regarding the setup or anything else you'd like to share about your study? I, you know, I think from the standpoint of, of uh, this study in general, I mean, I, I guess the, the one thing I would throw out there to individuals just getting started with hip arthroscopy is just make sure that you're, you're preparing and that you're doing what you need to do in order to uh, get yourself ready to to do this procedure. It is not uh, a procedure that is something that I would say you learn on a weekend. You really have to uh, take the time to make this part of your practice. Uh, it is a uh, surgery that can take a lot of time if you don't do enough numbers. And uh, it's worth you know continuing to work on trying to get better from the standpoint of watching individuals, visiting individuals that are that are uh, good at this procedure, that have high volume, see how they can get through this, this case efficiently. Uh, the more that you can do that, uh, the more that you can minimize the, the issues associated with, you know, doing an inadequate uh, uh, technical job or, or getting into trouble because, you know, we're, we're having uh, individuals on the table for too long. Uh, anything that we can do to minimize the uh, risk of complications and improve the safety profile is going to get your patients better. Right, for sure. Yeah, preparation, like with anything that we do, is certainly essential. And this is certainly technically a challenging procedure. So that's that's very helpful. Thanks for taking the time to discuss this article with us today. It's really an exciting time. I think in arthroscopy, it's going to be interesting to look back in you know 20 years and we're kind of, you know, just still uh, breaking the edge and, you know, getting a lot more great information thanks to these studies like yours. So I appreciate your time and uh, thanks for such a great study design and sharing it with us today. Hey, thanks, Dr. Arno. I really appreciate you inviting me to, to uh, discuss this paper. This is fun. Thanks. Dr. Aoki's article entitled Joint Venting Prior to Hip Distraction Minimizes Traction Forces During Hip Arthroscopy is published in the February 2021 issue of the Arthroscopy Journal and is available online at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. Thank you for joining us. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal.